0: Philanthropies pledge $500 million to address crisis in local news. The effort, spearheaded by the MacArthur Foundation, will give grants to support newsrooms and startups as concern grows over the rapid disappearance of local news outlets. Many major philanthropic groups have increasingly focused their attention in recent years on helping struggling local newsrooms. Now they are joining forces. On Thursday, more than 20 nonprofit organisations announced plans to invest a total of $500 million over the next five years in local media organisations, one of the biggest efforts yet to address the crisis in local news. The initiative, called Press Forward, is spearheaded by the MacArthur Foundation and supported by organisations including the Knight Foundation, the Ford Foundation and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Press Forward will use the $500 million to fund grants for existing local for-profit and non-profit newsrooms, help build shared tools, provide resources to diverse outlets and those in historically underserved areas, and invest in nonpartisan public policy development that advances access to news and information. John Palfrey, the president of the MacArthur Foundation, said Press Forward aimed to help news outlets that did not have enough revenue to sustain their business. The goal, he added, is to eventually raise and invest $1 billion for the effort. There's extraordinary opportunity, Mr. Palfrey said in an interview. Many people are focused on finding ways to improve local news coverage, he said, but they just simply don't have enough philanthropic capital to get it going, and we're going to provide at least a down payment on that. The investment by Press Forward reflects the concern over the rapid shrinking and disappearance of local news organisations across the United States, and what that information void means for democracy. More than 20 per cent of Americans now live in what are called news deserts, which are areas that have little or no independent news sources on local issues, or communities that are on the verge of becoming one, according to a 2022 report by Northwestern University's Medill School. Some 2,500 newspapers have shut down since 2005, and more continue to close. Declining revenue from print advertising and subscriptions has made it nearly impossible for struggling papers to survive, and those that are still around have a small fraction of the staff they once had. Digital news outlets and non-profit newsrooms have sprung up across the United States, but not in numbers large enough to fill the gap. According to the Northwestern report, most of the new outlets serve urban centres, leaving some economically struggling and rural communities at a loss. Without an independent local news source, the report said, residents don't have the information they need to make informed decisions about civic issues and governance, and that provides an opening for the spread of misinformation and disinformation. People are really now alarmed, said Alberto Ibargan, the president of the Knight Foundation. There is a new understanding of the importance of information in the management of community, in the management of democracy in America, that I believe simply wasn't there 15 years ago. The MacArthur Foundation and the Knight Foundation are each contributing $150 million to the fund, with 20 other initial donors making up the rest. The MacArthur Foundation will set aside an additional $25 million to invest in for-profit businesses, rather than give grants, Mr. Paul Free said. Grants from the pooled funds will be coordinated and managed by the Miami Foundation, a non profit community foundation. Most of the grants will be awarded beginning in 2024 and will focus on at least one of four areas strengthening local newsrooms, scaling news infrastructure, closing inequalities in coverage and practice, and advancing public policies. Mr. A bargain said the advantage of Press Forward was that media organisations could submit an application for funding and have access to a range of large national foundations, rather than have to apply to each foundation. This, I hope, will be a much more efficient way of both sharing information about people seeking funding and about what models appear to be working, he said. Philanthropies have increasingly been putting their money toward local news. A new study conducted by NORC a research institution at the University of Chicago, in partnership with Media Impact Funders and the Lenfest Institute for Journalism found that a third of the donors surveyed had funded journalism for the first time in the past five years. More than 70% of the donors in the study said their top priority was funding local news. One example is the American Journalism Project, which gives grants to existing nonprofit newsrooms. It has raised more than $150 million and has supported 41 news organizations since it was started in 2019 by John Thornton, who founded the Texas Tribune, and Elizabeth Green, a co-founder of Chalkbeat and Votebeat. The Tribune is one of the biggest non-profit newsrooms in the country and has helped to usher in new regional digital startups, but it recently had its first layoffs in its 14-year history. Chalkbeat and Votebeat are topic-specific non-profit outlets, focusing on education reporting and election and voting coverage. The Knight Foundation has invested more than $632 million in local news efforts since 2005, and Mr. Ibargan said its Press Forward investment was in addition to continuous annual spending on journalism projects. Mr. Palfrey said Press Forward planned to bring in new donors and raise more money. But we know that even with the maximum we can do pushing really hard, we're not going to have enough to solve the local news crisis. There has to be other sources of revenue, and some of that of course is advertising and subscriptions, but I actually believe that public policy has a role to play," he said.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome back to Paul's Tech News. As you might have noticed, I am not in the same place that I was last week. My office, alas, is no more. But my newly upgraded home studio, garage, features luxurious amenities such as a fresh coat of paint, a new floor, and, most importantly... A two-ton split HVAC unit that can dump cold or warm air as needed directly onto my face and body. This space does not feature a properly built-out set yet however, and since I've been moving all week and have newly discovered muscles that scream with agony upon even the slightest movement or gesture, I was forced to make some accommodations in order to be able to present you all with today's video. It is basically the tech news minimum viable product which means some rapid-fire tech briefs all the way down. But before I drop these briefs, I want a drink. Here's to my first tech news back home. Cheers. Thanks. Today's video is brought to you by the Corsair IQ Link System Hub, a single small controller that manages all of your system cooling and RGB lighting. The IQ Link System Hub mounts magnetically to your case and can control up to 14 devices, seven per port, with daisy chain support so you can simplify your cable management while still enabling glorious synchronized RGB. Corsair's IQ software can automatically configure IQ Link components while enabling precise fan speed control and real-time system monitoring. Click the sponsor link in the video's description for more on the Corsair IQ Link system hub. So let us begin these tech briefs with hope for the future, and that hope is brought to us by Intel, who we all want to make good GPUs to perhaps bring some balance to the current duopoly-burdened marketplace, and if Hardware Lux editor Andreas Schilling is to be believed, Intel Battlemage GPUs, the successor to Arc, are already up and running in the labs specifically the Battlemage BMG G10, which would be the successor to the Alchemist ACM G10 that the A770 and A750 use, was seen in the failure analysis labs during a factory press tour in Malaysia. TSMC will be manufacturing these GPUs on their 4nm node and will probably see them launch in the second half of 2024. Intel also had a lot to show off at the Hot Chips Conference this week, especially if you like CPUs with more cores and threads. 144 cores will be available in upcoming Xeon, Sierra Forest, and Granite Rapids processors expected in the first half of 2024. They'll be manufactured on the Intel 3 process, but only Granite Rapids will feature the newer and faster Redwood Cove peak cores. Intel also showed off a wild 8-core, 528-thread CPU. That's 66 threads per core, which was purpose-built for some very specific massively parallel workloads such as graph analytics for DARPA's Hive program, which sounds neither scary nor mysterious. The CPU uses silicon photonics for chip-to-chip communication though, and is based on the RISC architecture and not x86, and if you understand what all that means, then You may proceed to the next level. Starfield launches this week and early reviews are already out for the hotly anticipated Space RPG and it looks like the game might not become a victim of its own hype after all, with a promising Metacritic review of 87 on average based on 54 reviews Currently, and messages of thanks slash huge sighs of relief being posted by the dev team, who I'm sure have been clenching their collective sphincter muscles for some time now leading up to the launch, which is Wednesday, by the way. Unless you pay extra for early access, which you shouldn't, based on principle but a bunch of people probably will anyway. Alongside the Starfield debut, we have some new GPUs coming out from AMD, the Radeon RX 7700 XT and 7800 XT, which will also launch Wednesday, so a few leaks have trickled out this week. The RX 7800 XT, for example, might hit a score of... 19,000 or so in 3D Mark Time Spy, putting it in the same performance ballpark as the RX 6800 XT. The 7700 XT, meanwhile, might do around 17,000 points in the same test, which would put it a bit ahead of the RX 6800 non XT. These are early leaks, so grain of salt and all, but this next one would appear to be verified as it came directly from Scott Herkelman, GM of AMD's graphics business unit, who said they were initially considering using that 12VH power or 12V2x6 connector on these new GPUs, but decided against it. And perhaps they're just throwing shade towards Nvidia bringing that up at all. But one thing Nvidia does seem to be concerned about is how the 7700 XT stacks up versus the 4060 Ti 12 gig. The price for that card has dropped a decent bit in recent weeks and can now be found for 450 or even 430 US dollars. Still too much money. In other NVIDIA news, the H100 GPU built for AI is in high demand worldwide at the moment, and most recently, they've had buyers from the Middle East expressing interest. But hold up there, says the US government, we're going to ban that before any sales can go through. NVIDIA disclosed the ban in a recent public statement, but did not specify which Middle Eastern countries are included. The reason seems to be that if the U.S. already doesn't trust China with our best AI solutions, they also don't trust the newly banned countries in the Middle East not to resell chips to China or not to set up AI farms in the Middle East that China can just run remotely. Maybe the real reason is the terrible secret they discovered, that you can't spell China without AI. You can't spell the United States of America either. But one thing that would help with our ongoing struggle to make sense of AI would be if we could just tell what is AI generated and what isn't. So Google's DeepMind team created the SynthID watermark which went public on Tuesday. Its function is to watermark AI-generated images in a way that is imperceptible to the human eye, but can easily be caught by a dedicated AI detection tool. And it makes sense that no human would be able to detect or remove a watermark directly embedded into the pixels of an image. That's very compute-intensive. There's a lot of data there. But do you know what probably could figure out how to do that? AI. It's like that old paradoxical question. Could AI create a rock so big that even AI couldn't lift it? Something like that. Lastly, to close with a palate cleanser, let's give some credit to an unnamed group of benevolent hackers who breached the spyware firm we- Web, Detective, Web Detective and deleted personal info from more than 76,000 devices that had been compromised by the spyware stalkerware as it is called is used to monitor individuals without their consent and the gregarious gray hats responsible for the breach made their opinion of this kind of software abundantly clear hashtag stalkerware i'm inclined to agree well done mysterious guardians of other people's privacy on the internet and well done to all of you for sticking with me on this first episode of the show from my new digs And there you have it, tech news for the week. I almost forgot to drink more of this beer since the show went so quickly.
2: So Aaron yesterday went to IG, yesterday or the day before, a very, very heartfelt message on uh, IG. He's a good talker. He's a good IG-er. You see, thank you to every person that reached out, DM, texted, meant a ton. I'll try to get back to all of you soon. I'm completely heartbroken, moving through the emotions, deeply touched, humbled for the support and love keep me in your thoughts and prayers the night is darkest before the dawn I shall rise yet again Uh, I love that and he's good at that and people should remember though um, he is 40 in early December and rehab is harder for older players but his head coach Robert Sala himself young says we're thinking about Aaron okay so here's just a reminder that there are certain ages that we know about. You have to be a certain age to rent a car. You gotta be a certain age to be a president. In sports, there are certain ages. It's always been like 35, 36 years old for a wide receiver and it's kinda over. You can't separate. 40 year old quarterbacks, 40 and older. That's the number. So here are the most career passing yards, 40 and older. So Brady is a Martian. It makes no sense, almost 28,000. It makes no sense. His career 40 and older was better than most pro careers. But after that, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, Warren Moon, Vinny Testaverde, all in their own space great. all get about 5,000, 5,500 yards. And those are multiple years 40 and beyond. And they end up with about 5,700, 5,800 yards. Brees, no longer a deep ball, last two years in his 40s, could not stay healthy. Warren Moon wildly athletic early NFL Canada College last couple of years last five years he wasn't running around he was a pocket quarterback only Dax 30 just 30. Dak is now almost strictly a pocket quarterback so Aaron was already showing signs of age last year in Green Bay he played more regular season games 17 than he had in any year in his career as the NFL extended the season and it was his fewest rushing yards as a starter so we talked about this a couple days ago. Job one for the Jets, get a left tackle. They got to fix that online, because you're going to get a pocket quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Achilles surgery is rough. Four, five, six months, no jogging. It's tough. It's crutches. For not weeks, months. It's a brutal surgery for a 24-year-old who doesn't have the bag and a ring. You wake up every day and ask yourself, is it worth it? Now you'll still get Aaron's brain, leadership and arm. You'll be fine, but you're going to get less Aaron Rodgers when he gets back. That's what you're going to get. Probably not going to give you 17 games. You're not going to get run around guy. He's going to drop more throwaways. Get rid of it. Don't get hit. Absolutely. Get in an accident for the rest of us. It's different when you come back. Tom Brady first year after his big injury. You could see he was frustrated if anybody got near his knees or below. Jordan Palmer, six years in the NFL, a quarterback coach, talked about the journey now for Aaron. When you just look at the rehab of this, he's 39. It's one of those things where you have those milestones, but it's a decision in the beginning. I'm either going to do this and pursue this with really everything that I have, or I can't do it. You can't 75% of an Achilles injury, especially at 39. And so I'm fascinated to see... Not how the rehab goes, but that decision that Aaron makes. And if he decides I'm all in and I'm doing this again, I don't think there's a problem. Okay, so now let's shift. I know everybody's freaking out. And you should. Aaron to Zach's not the same guy. But an NFL exec talked about the outlook for the Jets. And his quote was, I don't think there's a veteran out there that's much of an upgrade over Zach Wilson. So let me just throw this at you there are teams in the nfl right now today in much worse quarterback situations than the jets the jets have a great defense a star receiver an encouraging run game and zach taylor's young cheap athletic and just spent six months with aaron zach wilson excuse me that's not the end of the world he can't carry a franchise i don't think he's a franchise guy Can he make some throws to win some games for the rest of this year? Plus I get Aaron back next season? That's not the worst situation in the league. Run game, defense, star receiver. He's young and athletic, he can move. Aaron, six months, picked on that brain. The tsunami that I'd be scared about as a franchise and you don't see it coming yet. It's out in the ocean away, right? Russell Wilson in Denver, starting next year in Denver, starting next year, Russell goes from what he is now to a $35 million cap hit, a $55 million cap hit, $58 million, $53 and $54 million cap hits. It hasn't started yet. And what was the first thing, the first message we got from Sean Payton? So Sean Payton gets the job. He makes calls. I talked to him before he took the job. He was making calls on Russell Wilson and other factors in Denver. And then the first thing he does when he gets to Denver is look at film of every snap. He told us that's what he would do if he goes to Denver. Look at every snap of Russell Wilson. Figure out what he does well, what he doesn't. And what did he do? First day he could, signed a very expensive backup. Okay, that's a thing. Russell Wilson is a small... Increasingly expensive, soon to be 35 year old quarterback that needs, needs to run to be effective. Aaron doesn't. Aaron doesn't. Dak, I think, does. Josh Allen does. But certain guys, Mahomes runs once or twice a game. He's fine. Herbert, fine. Mobility's an additive. Aaron doesn't have to be wildly athletic and move around outside the pocket and downfield to be effective. Russell Wilson does. The last three years for Russell Wilson, wins, completion percentage, passer rating, and touchdown passes, all eroded. And the mega contract hasn't started. If I own the Broncos, if I run the Broncos, if I coach the Broncos, that's frightening. I don't think he's washed, but he's not the same quarterback. All right, Zach Wilson for 16 games. He's young, he's cheap, he's athletic, got a lively arm. Our defense is great. Nobody's scoring in the 30s on us. Run game can carry most of it. Have him drop back 18 times, complete 12, one to two big throws a game. Try to stay away from fumbles and picks. You'll probably get one pick a game. Jets can win a lot of games, 23-20. Okay, Denver does not have that run game yet, nor that defense. They don't have a receiver as good as Garrett Wilson. That's scary. And by the way, Zach doesn't cost much. Aaron reworked his deal this year. I think the Jets still have some cap space this year. Next year, pretty punitive. But you get Aaron back. Denver's scary. This substitute teacher, you know, just try to Keep the kids under control, get to the bell, get to the end of class. That doesn't scare me. Regular teacher's coming back.